Hello, I'm Brian, and I'm a designer. And I'm Joe, and I'm a designer. This week, we'll be talking about how to present your work. Why is it so hard to do, and how do you do it better? Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. How are you, Joe? I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a rough week. It was a tough week for me. Talk to me. Okay. Uh, so the reason, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to talk about this, um, A, is that it, this is a question I actually get a lot from, from people who are coming up because there is the easy part, which is going into your cave and doing your work. And that's like the fun part, right? Like that's what every creative person likes to do. You go into your cave and you polish your turd and tool. It's a nice sheen. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the hard work is then bringing that out of the cave and bringing that into the sunlight and having to... And having to show people. So the, the first part is um, how do you do that? And the second part for me is just the personal. Um, I think that I, uh, in, in, a, in a, a personal project of mine, um, didn't do that successfully over the past week. Oh. And uh, there was some miscommunication. And I don't think I did the best job presenting my work that I should have. So I feel like getting into this bunker with you and talking about best practices, I think will kind of realign my brain into a place where I can feel better about stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's unpack it. Totally. Okay. Let's start by um, saying just kind of when you go into a, a project, there is the expectation that eventually you're going to have to present the work. Mm -hmm. And um, I told that story a couple weeks ago about um, when I was young presenting 60 logos and stuff like that. I think that the other, um, as, as you maybe kind of get more advanced in your, in your career, the other thing um, senior designers tend to do to doing is, is to kind of verging on this kind of Paul Rand, like, this is the answer. Oh, right. Like, I, I have done all the hard work. This is the answer, and this is what it is. And, and when that's successful, it's extremely satisfying, right? You're just like, I am king shit of <laughs> fuck mountain. <laughs> but when it doesn't work... I mean, you have nothing left because there's right. no kind of fallback. Right. Uh, so I don't know. What do you What do you think about that? Where do you come down on that? On that? Well, I definitely. I had many years of the Paul Rand, you know, that pitch, right. and and uh, sometimes I would have to sell the work, but yeah, lately it's definitely feels like it's a lot harder mm. to to pitch. Mm. You think something about the the landscape um, of the of the industry or yourself or or what? I think. There's a lot more people that have a stake in design now and a lot mm. more opinions and they feel like they... That's interesting. That's true. More, that know. is true. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's a lot more pushback from, from well, a, a bit more pushback from non-designers, let's say. And I know that's a somewhat <laughs> controversial <laughs> since on this show I say a lot, everyone is a you designer. You <laughs> right? But yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel like... Like people have been pushing back over the last few years more so. So this actually gets into something I was talking about today, which is that um, so Comic Sans right is like the is like the 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 bastard stepchild of all typography, right? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about it on Slack, and I started to kind of push back. Not that I love Comic Sans, obviously it's a it's a horrific typeface, but I was like, why is it this thing? Like, why? I mean, there are so many goddamn bad typefaces. Like, right. why Comic Sans? Yeah. And even, like, old school, like, typefaces from the 90s, like Chicago. Like, Chicago has, like, a hardcore cult of people defending Chicago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, courier to the death. <laughs> right. Like, no one defends Comic Sans. And I, I have a personal theory, which is, like, around, like, 2002. 
2010, design and typography kind of became like a thing. Mm-hmm. Like there started to be like like you'd see in like apartment therapy, like people would just have like a poster of typography. Right. 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 Where yeah, like totally. all of a sudden it was like, oh shit, like design is fucking cool now. Right. Whereas right. before it was a little bit more I don't want to say blue collar, but it was a little bit more it was it was a little bit removed from that kind of rarefied aspirational realm. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that Comic Sans was caught in the crosshairs of just having to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think it was hit by a bus as it was crossing the street. That's really interesting. (laughs) So so maybe that plays into into the pushback, right? Well, because, you know, it was Impact before that. Right. But then Impact just became the typeface of memes, and now... Right, it was like, it it kind of redeemed itself. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, see, I'm cool, guys. So Comic Sans just hasn't had that moment yet. Right. 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 It needs a... Right. Totally. <laughs> but bringing us back to the topic at hand. Um, so I think you're right that I think the, that there is a lot of um, more kind of awareness about design. And I think that's a... I think that's a... Not good. I think that people knowing about design and kind of being influenced by it is good. But there is also a, a growing uh, realization about design a little bit brings the questions up more. So uh, let me just talk about my my usual path, and you can tell me yeah, where okay. I fucked up. Yeah. Um, so usually what I do is I start out, and I start just with, with like a sketch round, mm-hmm. right? I'll just kind of go to my notebook, and I'll just like do a bunch of sketches. I won't necessarily show all those sketches, but that's just kind of like getting on all the dirt for me. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take a few of those good sketches, maybe... I don't know, eight to ten, and I'll go into a session with people, and I'll kind of talk about them. And which like, which people? The, Your the, team or, or the, the the stakeholders? Okay. So let let's say that I am working alone on a okay. solo project, okay. just me. I'll go and I'll kind of talk with the team, and they'll say like, "Yeah, I like this direction. This is all just kind of pencil work and stuff like mm-hmm. that." Oftentimes, then I will go away and I won't show any steps until final three, mm. and I always present three. And I, I've actually had um, some discussions with other designers, which is like, like, why do you like there's some people that do that Paul Rand thing about like, no, 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 just be confident mm-hmm. and just like have the one solution ready to go and just be ready to defend it. But my position is that like stakeholders are human beings and you want to like promote the <laughs> like the illusion <laughs> of, of choice, <laughs> like, right? Like allowing them to think that they have a stake in it makes right. them feel a little bit like it's theirs, yeah. like, like they've owned it. Right. Like, oh, they they basically designed that because they chose number three or something like that. Right. So it kind of it puts the onus on them to feel like they own it. And then that trick that oftentimes that is a kind of like a a sleight of hand that is very well worn, which is you take one that you really like from those eight or nine and the other two you kind of didn't like. (laughs) And you and you flesh all those three out and you hope that they choose the one that that you do like. Now, it's risky because they might choose one of the other two. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, this time, I did that, and it was just like it was like dropping a microphone on the ground. So it was just you... dead silence. So they just didn't provide they any ju- feedback. It was. It was just like it was just like. Can you bring us something new? Oh, they just didn't like it. It just didn't like it. And um, that sucks. I, I, you know, I don't want to necessarily be an egomaniac, but like that's happened relatively rarely. Like yeah. I've always had something to work with. Right. Right. I don't know. I was a little baffled yeah. because because having to go back all the way through that discovery process again was like, I'm really going to do that again. Did I just like blow six weeks of my time? Right. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's happened to me too. Like you, it's pretty rare. Yeah. And I don't think it has anything to do with the skill set. Yeah. Um, I think it's really more sometimes you go down a track or a train of thought, you present it to a client and it just, it doesn't connect. And yeah. in my experience, it's usually the client often wasn't paying attention yeah. through kind of the iterative steps. Yes. And so they kind of come in at the very but end. But that's on you. A little bit. You right? Know? Like, if you haven't captured their attention and told that story about how you got there, like, that's that's kind of on you. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, well, your process, I mean, going back a little bit, your process is a little bit different than mine. So I don't do three yeah. high fidelities ever. Yeah. I, I can't even remember the last time I did that. Yeah. Um, I do sketches like you, hand yep. sketches initially. That is largely to... It sketches for me. I mean, I know you're you're an artist. Oh, please, an illustrator, <laughs> former illustrator. So sketching, I think, for you is probably more natural than it is for me. Mm. But when I would, so I I do the sketches largely as a, a bringing them along the journey mm. exercise. And mm. I just found when we were together, actually, I saw how your sketches, uh, when people saw it, they would really like liven up mm. and just start to get really excited about the work. Mm. And they would start talking about, oh, this is like an unfinished idea that I get to like mm. have a say in. Mm. And mm. suddenly I'm a creator too. Right. And that's pretty exciting to see people get excited about design work like that. And so I started doing, instead of doing wireframes, which I used to do in like OmniGraffle or Visio way back in the day, yeah. uh, I started switching over to hand sketches, um, originally on paper and scanning them. And mm. then now I do them all on iPad Pro. Mm. And I found that that works really, really well for early stage, just buy-in. Yeah. And then after that, then I move into some sort of low fidelity-ish. Just kind of, so are, are we talking about, I know you're not necessarily a, a logo designer, so are you just kind of gray boxing things? or, or Usually, how yeah. Yeah, yeah the, um, the term I usually use is blocking. Like sure. in, rough in, carpentry. Yeah, yeah. Or, or artistry, like yeah. if you're doing like a drawing a shape then yeah. you would do the, initially you would do the blocking yeah right? yeah and then you start to do yeah the fine tuning or like marble work yeah sculpture absolutely right? yeah. yeah you do that you do the, the the vaguest blobby shape first right right <laughs> and uh and then and then it takes definition yeah i would usually do that uh, i mean these days i do it everything in sketch app mm. and then uh but i i mean i'm so meticulous around everything mm. when anytime i get into a design tool even though it's gray blocks mm. i still everything is still pixel perfect i mean everything's perfectly spaced yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah i mean i just can't help but not yeah. do that it's one of the things i admire about you oh thanks yeah yeah, yeah. um I mean, I mean you're obsessive compulsive and you should get help yeah, but it's very yeah. good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a whole episode <laughs> um and uh and then yeah and then after and then i present that and then that's the area where I do lots of iteration, right. and and usually what I do is I gradually increase fidelity, mm. and so um, so how many rounds are we talking about here? For a big project, hmm, I would probably say, I mean, I think for a big project like twenty rounds. Wow, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, wow, and, and so, just like a weekly cadence or something, or yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, at the very minimum, once a week, um, and you're usually doing a number of different screens, sure. so you might be doing a bunch of flows yeah of those each round you might be adding you know two or three screens each time mm. um kind of adding them into the stack yeah and then later once you kind of have your ux fairly defined right. then starts the ui process which yeah. is okay well now these 
blocks of gray will now take color and shape and really fixate on the iconography mm. and content, mm. um, making things um, look real without being too perfect. Yeah. Because I think that's a mistake that a lot of designers make. I they, totally agree. Yeah, they want Go, Going too far down the road, it, it backs you into a weird corner right. and then you can't get out of it because people think that part is ship. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I often fall into the mistake that my low fidelity work is mistaken for high fidelity work. Mm. And uh, that can sometimes be awkward because they're, they're <laughs> you know, I'm doing low fidelity UX work and they'll be like, that's great. We'll take that. And I'm like, but wait. <laughs> I haven't thought about right. this at all. <laughs> yeah, I still have to do this design work, which you were going to pay me for. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, yeah, so it's a slightly different process where by the time we get to the end, it's been a journey that we've somewhat taken together. And they're leaving the UI work largely to me. Yeah. So what hearing you say that makes me realize that, that the process between something like like a logo is a little bit different totally. than a, than a than a, a UI. Right. But there is um with with a logo I would totally agree with a logo you have to give options. Sure. You have to be able to see yeah. yeah. Yeah, agreed. But there is I find that when I do have roadblocks, I think it is um well, let me just go back to this this generalized kind of client story, which is, which is that I, I don't feel like at any point in time, I, you know, I got that that um, direction that is just like the worst, most nightmare direction you ever get, which is like let's just see something totally different, which is like, you know what I mean? It's like it's so unhelpful, you right. know what I mean? And especially because this was this was part visual design, this was part UI, and so it was kind of building upon um, some kind of preconceived. Um, studies we had done and it was kind of like I, I don't feel like I ever sold the ladder mm. you know what I mean of like we're going on this journey together and and usually I'm a pretty good storyteller I feel like this time I just dropped the ball on the storytelling and I think that maybe I think maybe as you get older you really just start understanding that so much of presenting client work is presenting this story and telling the story to the client and, and making sure that they are coming along on the ride with you and understanding the, this three-act structure that you're presenting themselves totally. with. Totally. Because if you get to the, to the third act and you've revealed the gun and they didn't know there was a gun, right. <laughs> that you're boned. Right, right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you, you really have to kind of set it up. So first of all, you have to assess who are the stakeholders? Right. So, I mean, we've we've largely been talking about, about client work, but it also this applies in an internal context sure. as well. Yeah. Who is who's going to actually approve this work? And right. sometimes you have to like create work for the person that's above you, but the person that's going to actually approve it is above that person, yeah. which you may not ever right. talk to. Yeah. Uh, Apple was famous for that. Like, right. You know, nobody presented to Steve Jobs; only a handful of people actually did. So right. you have to go through the layers. Right. So, so understanding what some of those needs are, kind of making sure, um, like I usually take incorporate like a little bit of a rollback strategy mm. that if I'm ever starting to venture into some unknowns or mm. to do do something that I'm not necessarily sure is really going to resonate or connect mm. with the stakeholders, mm. I'll stop and mm. say this would be a good time for us to get together and review or here's this here's what i'm thinking yeah and let it go up the chain yeah and, and something I, I learned from from a project manager years ago was actually uh, uh putting into writing and submitting after 
the meeting, the things that the team agreed upon. Oh, like, yeah. yes, we agree that this direction. Yes, we agree that it, the color orange is the thing that's most effective. And actually sending that around afterwards just right. to kind of solidify in people's mind that this is the thing we agreed upon. That's not to say the client can't change their mind later, but like at least having the, the, the paper trail of like this is where we got to. Right. So that if you actually have to submit a change order, you can be like, listen, this is this is this is where we are now. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm being flooded with a lot of different thoughts here. Yeah. <laughs> like the, yeah. So, Open so up there's the a couple. Yeah. There's a couple different techniques that I use. So, yeah. uh, so the first one is like what I do with my students when they're creating their own design languages. First thing is come up with principles. Yeah. And and what I tell them is when you get stuck, the principles are what you come back to. Right. And so figure out what those are. I want it to be clean or yep. simple yep. or something like that. Yep. Another technique is rely on best practices, which yep. is really more in the UX realm, yep. right? So uh, know your patterns, right. your UX patterns. Like with mobile, it's really easy because there's, a, you know, like 50 <clears throat> some patterns that we use yep. for the most part. Um, which is why I think things like Dribble is like flooded with mostly mobile screens and yeah. desktop screens, which <laughs> have a lot more patterns. Yeah. But know your pattern so that way if you ever get stuck or people start to challenge your work, then you can kind of fall back to yeah. those patterns and yeah. say, well, this is a best practice. Are we going to break this best practice on yeah. how back buttons work yeah. or, yeah. you know, an OK cancel works? Yeah. Maybe if we do that, that's cool. But let's just all agree that we're forging ahead into an unknown. Right, 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 right. right so right. That is, that's going to have some risk. Yeah, there. yeah. And um, and I think and the other thing on the on the UI side is having a style guide, which is not really a design language, mm. but um, but under or design system or design kit, but some kind of gesture. You understand like yeah. what is our iconography style? What yep. is going to be our illustration style? What yep. type of color palette and typography do we want yep. to use? Yeah, and those things can often that's a that's a time when I'll I'll do definitely do multiple yeah. examples. I'll yeah. say here's a color palette or here's three color palettes right. and here's five illustration styles. Right. Um, and again, I try to be as lazy as possible in all of these <laughs> endeavors where, because I mean, I literally tell my students all the time, be as lazy as possible. <laughs> it's like the worst professor ever. Uh, just because I feel the more work you put into it, if someone rejects that work, which is yeah. a high probability for yeah. unknown reasons, yeah. then you're going to have, you're going to be creatively kind of crushed. For sure. So, because yeah. we put our heart into everything. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. By I, again, I wish I had a better way to say it, but if you're as lazy as possible mm. to say, "Hey, here's a bunch of color palettes and typography and whatever, pick one mm. or two mm. or whatever," mm. then you can agree and then move on to the next step, right? And which is really just iteration. So okay, so so let's let's get a, a couple of so this is inspiring to me. So let's get a couple of um, do's and don'ts around presenting work that we've just kind of like intuited after after all these years. Mm -hmm. My first thing that um, it took me a long time to, to get is not apologizing when oh, someone doesn't like something. Totally. Right? Like that now that is kind of partnered with like the work is not you. Yeah. Right? And that is also like a huge hill to get over. Yeah. Like when someone it's going to happen. Someone's not going to like the work. A, the work is not you and B, don't fucking apologize. Right? right? Like right. like I, I've seen I've seen designers who they get into a meeting and they present something and the client doesn't like it and they're immediately like, oh, I'll, I'll change that. Like, don't yep. do that. Yeah. Stand your ground. Like, you made that choice for a reason. Stand your ground yep. and explain yourself. Yeah. Now, that is a really 
hard thing to do. Yeah. Like a really hard thing to do because it's like walking into a fight. <laughs> and like Always. most most designers are relatively conflict adverse people. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, but I just think that if that sounds scary to you, you need to get over that. Yes. Because that is a core component of your job. Because if you don't stand up for the things that are be- you're going to believe in, you're never going to be a totally awesome designer. Because the things that come inside of you, you have to stand up for. Right. And you have to convince people for. Right. I, I would, oh, that, it's such a great point. I, so 50% of my course is probably just critique. Yeah. Is just that's to, great. Is to get, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, get everyone used to critique in yep. a safe space yes. with other designers. Yep. If you're a designer that's kind of self-taught and like how I started, yeah. I mean, I I were largely worked by myself. Mm. I didn't work with a lot of other designers. Mm. I came up without critique, and and honestly, I would say it really uh, delayed my skills. I think. Tell because, me. Tell me how. Well, because you really need to be able to to hear that critique from other people that speak your language. Yes. To be able to build up better salesmanship tools. Yep. To be able to sell that work and be able to know when to defend your work. Right. I think if you haven't gone through art school or any sort of, you know, critique-like process or you're working within a design team that has regular design reviews, yeah. then um, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Mm. Um, so even just if you're like a freelancer out there working with yourself, like um, even just floating work by your friends totally and just say hey what do you think of this and starting to take that input and take it as constructive criticism and that will help you understand the vocabulary that you need to be able to talk about your work totally and 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 talk and share your design decisions that you made totally it's it's like it's like you know going for a run or weightlifting right if you're only staying at 10 pounds you're never going to get any stronger you have you have to put more weights on the weight to actually get stronger at this right so you actually Right. Ratchet it up. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Um, so there, so there's that function, and then there's also um, just the idea of um, getting feedback. That, so w- one of the things that I try to um, ask clients to do, I kind of start out, um, I really like this phrase that someone else taught me a long time ago, which was instead of saying, like, I like and I don't like, mm. framing it like I understand and I don't understand. Oh, that's a good one. Because... By taking it out of this um, kind of like aesthetic thumbs up, thumbs down thing, the subjectivity, it feels like this like it feels like an attack. Whereas if you're really thinking about the design as for a purpose, Mm -hmm. right, then you can frame all of these things as kind of like a math problem, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't understand why that green is there, right? And then you can either say like, well, that green is there because I have these justifications. That maybe leads into a, a third one, which is have your justifications for everything. Right. But I have these justifications. Or if you don't have justifications, maybe it's a valid criticism. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think I think being honest uh, around some of those times when you said, well, I I like the color green here. I, totally. I, I love your vocabulary better. But but um, another thing I tell students during the during the critique is uh, is it's okay to just be honest when you're kind of out there on a limb? Totally. It, it, because if you try to if you try to defend something and and kind of introduce that subject subjectivity and really just try to push push it down people, like yeah. normally people react in the opposite reaction. Yeah. They'll start kind of questioning some of your choices and you yeah. can get off track. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's just better to come from a place of vulnerability totally. and just say. 
you know, I explored a couple different options here and I just felt like this was the right one here yeah. for this reason or because I really liked what somebody else did over here or, you yeah. know, maybe I, it just <laughs> makes me happy. You can totally tell when someone is ass backwards walking into a justification of something they just kind of like like well i feel like this represented paris <laughs> like right. yeah right <laughs> right exactly yeah but but, okay, but i mean that is scary right yeah. to be like i i just like this like right. this just looks better it's it's not your default reaction, like you said. You're going, you're prepped going into the fight. Like my right. students hate the design reviews. Like I, of course see they them do. They're human beings. They're so nervous. <laughs> and we're like, when they get a good one from me, they, I mean, you can just see their faces just like relax. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, but yeah, the the but they're prepped for for critique. Yeah, and and uh, truly so, right? And I yeah. want them to be kind of walking into that. Not for a fight, hopefully, no, but, no, but but ready for. But you know, there is. Uh, I don't know. This is gonna reveal me to probably to be <laughs> something I don't want to be revealed. So my 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 lovely wife Molly gets on my case occasionally because she's like, you always like to wear the hair shirt. Like I like to do things difficult mm. on purpose. Mm. Like I like, like. <sighs> Like, I kind of liked when I was living in Boston to be, like, outside in the snow, miserable with, like, ice in the back. Because it made you feel kind of alive. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Like, it's more alive than, like, sitting on a couch eating bonbons. Uh -huh. there, there, is, there is kind of a, a kind of a visceral joy in getting in the aesthetic arena and just being like, bring it on. Like, what's, <laughs> give me the worst you got. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, because then you do test yourself and you say, right. like, do I really believe these things? Right. Is that true? And, I, and and maybe it's not true. And I then think maybe that's, that's the thing that people are afraid of is to find out that the, they actually don't believe the things they think they believe. I think that you, you I think you're absolutely right. You should be walking in prepared for a fight and yeah. you should be, you should kind of relish the, the happy warrior. <laughs> right. I mean, when you're, when you're first coming up, like my students, like it, for them, like they're more about learning. Right. Yeah, right. But when you're, a bit mid or senior of course you want to be able to push things and that's yeah. when we get into like i right. think i've mentioned before the three strikes rule yeah like i'll push for things i don't say fight i say push <laughs> i'm gonna okay. push on like that a little that. bit I like or I, yeah i want to push for this good um but i try to push for things three times and if i get shot down the third time yeah then i'm like okay all right maybe there's something here i don't understand so what do you do? Let, let's say you, Brian Fling, the great designer, are in a pitch meeting and you have revealed your final presentation and the client just fucking hates it. What's what's the strategy? How do you how do you how do you bail yourself out of that? Um, so, I mean, I'll be totally honest. There's sometimes where I have like really tried to push mm, back yeah. on um, when those things do happen. Uh, and it's obvious I'm frustrated. Right. Um, and I think that uh, in some cases, I think I've just acknowledged. I like take a deep breath mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm frustrated. Yeah. I spent a lot of time on this. Right. 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 And just, right. And that humanness is a helpful thing too. Totally. I mean, that is also an arrow in your quiver. Because what happens is the people that are critiquing it will start to switch a little bit and, and they'll, they'll draw start back. to help. Yes. They'll say, How can I help you be successful? Totally. And that's where that thing, like, I understand, I don't understand. Because what you, you, you do want to be a happy warrior. You do want to stand up for the things you do, but you also don't want to turn it into uh, who wins this, right. per se, of like, we shot down this designer's designs. It still right. wants to be a, everyone pushing for the same happy conclusion of this is a good product or this right. is a good logo or whatever. Right, it is. right. Well, and uh, and that makes me think too. I mean, there's been many scenarios where that happens. Is it? It wasn't because the work wasn't good. It was because the 
the recipe for my success wasn't there, mm. right? Like I wasn't given enough time. Sure. I wasn't given enough input. The stakeholders were wrong. So by the, by the time I'm right. presenting something I've thought pretty deeply on, right. it's it's not the right thing for right. things that happened completely outside of my control. It's so hard to remember that though in that, yeah. the, at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, well, sometimes it doesn't, it, it takes you doing the work to be able to expose those facts. In fact, I would say like 40% of the time. <laughs> um, and that's yeah. and that's one of the things, again, where I would caution most designers, like just embrace rejection yeah. and, and yeah. this type of critique and that sort of thing. Just embrace those things as not a personal right. attack. Right. Because your job is to use creative to have these conversations. Yeah. Right. And, and, that, and that process of figuring out what works and what doesn't work by definitionally there are going to be things that don't work right and someone has to communicate that right right? like you can't you can't go down a path of that some someone saying that path is wrong or you'll get lost and you'll do nothing ever right right yeah yeah the best you can do is say tell me more about that why is this not working for you right try to 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 use criticism as a way to turn that around into a way to extract information totally so then you can go into the next round and say oh okay and and if you can't resell your work like it sounds like in your situation like it, there was no saving the work, right? It just was a. No, I think I fucked up because I didn't tell the right story. Yeah, I didn't. It was I, DOA. I just, I just think that. I mean, quite frankly, a. I think that there was a, just a personality conflict. Mm. Sometimes you just stray into a situation where, if you, if you know a client and you get to like them and you like them on a personal level, it is much easier to <laughs> sell the work because they understand you as a right. human being. They understand how you're approaching things. They understand where you come from. They're like, yeah, me too. Right. If you just don't connect with the other person or, God forbid, that you kind of don't like each other as people, very hard to sell yeah. the work. Oh. Very, very hard. And I think this is the case. Honestly, right. You know? Right. Yeah. That happens. It's the way it is. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always dentistry. <laughs> so do you have any final words about, about how to sell your work? So so I'm hearing I'm hearing get your story straight. I'm hearing um, and make sure you're a justification for everything. Um, don't be afraid of the fight. Don't apologize. And um, also be, be human about things. Yeah. Be as lazy as possible. Be as lazy as possible. Do the least amount of work. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> right. Go to the couch. Get a bag of chips. Right. Lay down. It's time <laughs> to design. Thank you so much for listening. You can hear all of our episodes at designer.fm. Yep. And if you want to email us, you can email us at designer at designer.fm. And also, you guys, like, subscribe, give us a rating that really, really helps us in Apple Podcasts. Please, please, please. Please. Okay, bye.